0: Hello there, idea enthusiasts. Boy, have I got a fun episode for you today, absolutely jam packed with high level, important ideas. Featuring the world's leading rubinologist, Timba on Toast. <laughs> Shout out to patron Thomas Swords for coming up with that term to describe this very new, very serious, very niche field of study and its experts. Anyway, I'm telling you. We will be doing some heavy idea lifting here today, because during this episode, the idea dial was turned to hot. Just a few things I wanted to hit, though, before we dive right into those ideas. Firstly, let me warn you, this is an episode for very online types who are familiar with the skeptosphere. So if my vomiting out the word ideas just now repetitively didn't mean anything to you, you may need to brush up on your Rubenisms. Oh, and this is obviously no safe space for Reuben fans, it should go without saying. And uh, then the other thing I wanted to address is, jokes and everything aside, why do so many of us invest so much time and effort in criticizing someone like Dave Rubin? People like Sam Cedar, Michael Brooks, Dimba, myself. Is it because we're a bunch of meanies who just like to shit on a poor, innocent guy living his own life doing no harm to anyone? Is it comparable, as Joe Rogan said in his interview with David Packman to Steven Crowder harassing Carlos Maza? No, obviously not. Crowder is harassing and singling out a journalist, making derogatory comments about his orientation and race. This is in no way similar to criticizing someone's terrible ideas or actions. Bizarrely, Joe claimed Rubin was cognitively limited in that conversation without realizing what an insult to his friend Reuben that was.
1: Is that different in your opinion than someone singling something out for what you believe is their mental incompetency? <laughs> well, that mental incompetency, do you mean that they're ignorant mocking, or that they're that they're mentally mo- ill or mo- cognitively, limited? M- cognitively limited? Cognitively <laughs> limited, mocking their ability to think, well. mocking their intelligence.
0: <laughs> now, I just want to stress that this is a bullshit excuse. Rubin's terrible ignorance and inability to think and promotion of far-right nonsense should absolutely be mocked and criticized mercilessly. That's his politics, not a condition he's suffering with. If it were true that Rubin had some cognitive limitations, then obviously mocking him for his lack of intelligence wouldn't be right. And as much as I despise Ruben and his views and actions, I want to make it clear that if someone were singling him out and criticizing him for his sexual orientation or his Jewish background, I'd be against it, just like I am when Dave's own homophobic buddy, Ben Shapiro, says he wouldn't even attend an anniversary party Dave threw. So, yeah, I just wanted to point out what a bunch of BS that was. It's sad this even needs to be said. I'll I'll stress here again that Dave is a public figure doing massive amounts of harm. He's using his very large platform to promote and sanitize and mainstreamize those who spread hatred against the more vulnerable people in society. And he's doing it incredibly dishonestly and incredibly hypocritically. There is nothing wrong with people pushing back against that or pointing it out. He is a bad actor with a pretty clear agenda and a very large platform with growing political influence and access to real politicians, despite him almost flaunting his lack of intelligence. It's sort of mind-boggling, really, and fascinating, too, in a twisted sense. Like a train wreck you can't look away from. Like, he's out there day after day laundering some far-right extremists with a sprinkling of just enough normal mainstream guests to give him some sort of cover in front of those who aren't as familiar with him and to draw more people in, eventually pushing the most gullible further and further right, while he claims to be totally not right-wing. So, yeah, these are some of the reasons why people spend so much time critiquing and quote-unquote exposing Reuben. There's more and more people interested in doing that every day, so I guess Dave's friends are really scraping the bottom of the barrel for excuses. And that's why you get situations where his own pals are saying he's cognitively limited. Yikes. Alright, hope you guys enjoy the episode and find the conversation as cathartic as I did. As always, if you enjoy the show and would like to see it survive and thrive, please consider supporting via Patreon. This show doesn't exist without listeners like you. Oh, and when I hit my next Patreon goal, I'll be starting work on a postmortem episode, revisiting my previous conversation with Sam Harris and commenting on it from a 2019 perspective. So help me get there and we'll get that project started. Now, the episode.
1: Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial
0: subjects. And uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial
1: or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to P*** Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Aina. Keeping it non-controversial.
0: Welcome to episode 55 with Timba on toast. He created a Dave Rubin dunking trilogy that is beyond thorough. That is a cut above all other Dave Rubin dunking. And I'll link to it in the show notes. If you haven't seen it already, please do check it out. Um, and Timba, where can people follow your work?
2: So the YouTube channel is Timba dot on toast. And my Twitter handle is at Timber on toast all one word jammed together with no dots.
0: Awesome. Okay. So follow Timba there and uh, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: It's a pleasure.
0: Your videos have been awesome. Aside from just the, the dunking on Dave Rubin, like the production is so slick and the music is sexy. It's great. Like the, just the whole aesthetic has got this really great vibe to it, you know?
2: That's really nice to hear. I think with my videos, all of it stems around wanting to make very simple points uh, about something which I think is obvious to most people. Along the way, if I was just doing that, I feel like it would be quite boring for me to create such a thing. So that's why all the other elements ended up coming in that I think perhaps is what might intrigue people who aren't necessarily into the political side of it so much.
0: So tell me a bit about yourself. Who are you and what prompted you to do a whole three-part series on Dave Rubin?
2: Okay, so I guess I have always had this kind of interest in the YouTube of sort of lefty creators of videos. Um, I think a lot of that stems from the Trump election and landing in this kind of strange world one night of, I think in one night I discovered Sargon of Akkad and then straight away uh, landed in the skeptic sphere. Oh Um, dear. And I, well, I don't know. I I found, I found it all quite a curious experience of discovering lots of pro-Trump viewpoints amongst people who were all calling themselves liberals. Uh, And it was very strange to me. And, (laughs) Through kind of watching loads of those people, I then stumbled upon, I think it was H-Bomber Guy first, and then all the people debunking them. And at that moment was like, I it all seems kind of like carefully curated, this liberal sphere of YouTube that supports Donald Trump.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, so from there, obviously, I very quickly discovered Dave Rubin. And my first thoughts when I watched him interviewing Milo were kind of like this strange feeling of not any sort of indignation or uh, negative feelings towards him, but a sense of this is a very strange thing I'm observing. And what actually am I watching? Uh, I've seen Milo's YouTube channel and I saw him get interviewed by Dave and there was very little difference in what he was saying because there was nothing coming from Dave at all. Uh, and I, I, I kind of wondered why Dave was bothering to interview him if it was just a pure Milo monologue that we could enjoy on Milo's channel. Uh, so, that was how,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was how
2: I ended up landing on, uh, on this world. And sort of, I suppose, I haven't created videos until I literally did the series on Dave. But by that point, I watched a load of videos on YouTube, knew how they worked, knew kind of the way people were presented arguments and that I think that was my in.
0: So give me a timeline like around when did you discover Sargon and then ruben and then the people that were debunking him? So
2: Sargon was first and that probably would have been 2015. Okay. And then we had um some black guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. I have, yeah. Uh, so, like, I—it's weird. Now, I kind of like him. Really? In a weird, in a weird way, where he makes videos where he doesn't really justify any of his opinions. He's just like, I don't know. This seems okay to me. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so he doesn't actually kind of. He'll say, "Oh, Trump. Well, yeah. I guess there's some things about him that are bad, but also maybe he's fine." And it's and it's kind of like a photo a experience of just like, Oh, I guess he's just, you know, he's just leaving it to the comment section to decide on all of these videos.
0: So he's uh, like, so I don't, I don't watch his videos or anything, but the sense that I get is that he's like a Candace Owens kind of like on the yeah, right.
2: But he's, he's not as um, sure of himself, I guess, or rather he's, he's very much in the um, video game playing. Everything is okay. Kind of sphere. So, the YouTube creators who I guess they ride along chuckling at every single thing that happens in society and and don't really, uh, have that much investment in, in anything. Um, what they do, I guess often is kind of give the appearance of being on the right. I often with these people don't know whether they are or not because I, I think it's a big, a big part of it is them leaning into their audience massively and oh, so you because, mean you don't
0: know if they're authentically on the right or if they're just yeah drifting.
2: that's it, and i I think with Candace Owens, yeah, I at some level, she probably isn't completely invested in the ideology she's espousing a lot of the time. Um, with her, I often get this really funny feeling that she's trying at once to appeal to the I guess younger black listeners that she might have um, but then trying to marry that with this very heavily conservative I would say very traditional family regressive ideology so I'll give you an example when I saw Candace Owens on the Joe Rogan podcast at one point in the interview she talks about Chris Rock and she says and the thing is when he was making jokes Nobody cared. It was just funny. Nothing was off limits. Everything was fine. Uh, And she's like, you couldn't have a character like Chris Rock now. Now, this to me is an appeal to the cool kind of, you know, black audience that she might have. Then later in the interview, she says, well, it is not funny that we have Joy Behar making jokes about Christians. That is not (laughs) funny. And you can look back at a Chris Rock comedy sketch and find Chris Rock. Dissing Christianity. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, well, wait, you enjoyed his stuff back then, doing the exact thing that you're now saying is wrong and bad and weird. That's what I always find. She, because she's trying to do both things at once, she ends up having these contradictory Positions. Uh, you, you, with Candace Owens, you don't even need to delve into her arguments. You just clip random things of her and she'll just contradict herself all oh, the way yeah, through. Oh yeah,
0: it's not just her though, right? Don't you find that generally on the right and even like the IDW Quillette sphere kind of?
2: Well, I th- I think with the IDW, it's, it's difficult with people like Brett and Eric because they never really go far enough to committing to any idea that's that's (laughs) political in a a strong way um i would say so they will which is what dave
0: started off with as well right if you notice that's like a thing like give yourself enough wiggle room to walk yeah
2: yeah but the problem the problem that i think dave had and the corner he got into was because the sheer volume of content he's put on the internet of himself talking to people is immense. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I always thought, yes, he does sit on the fence, and yes, he does kind of not commit, but this is where I found was his undoing. There's so much of him doing that, that you can delve into the rare times he expresses an idea And then there's so much there to then look through and say, wait a minute, that like you have kind of sealed your own demise here because you keep being on the internet.
0: You mean like for people to find contradictory positions and stuff? Like severely contradictory positions?
2: That's it. I think this was my whole motivation behind um, making a stupidly long video series about him was... Whenever there was a criticism of Dave Rubin levied by, I guess, a journalist who you can imagine was writing one of their many articles about a variety of topics and wrote something about him being critical of the way he'd interviewed uh, a certain person or or a few people, he always had the comeback of, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews, which he has, Mm And you're cherry picking these two or three or four or five interviews. And if you watch the rest of my content, you would realize that you've got this completely wrong. (laughs) And no journalist who's writing about varied topics and has a busy journalist schedule is then going to go back to Dave's channel and watch everything to see if they were right. Because why would they? So the whole motivation behind me doing the videos was I have loads of time (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and I've already watched a lot of Dave Rubin's stuff just through, I think. You've done uh, a
0: public service, a great public service.
2: Well, I guess morbid curiosity makes me watch Dave's show quite a lot. So um, I already had some stuff in my head where I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff there to go at. Um, But then, yeah, when I actually delved into it, I observed patterns that I perhaps hadn't even expected. What I realized was the critique that everyone was levying at Dave, I think, was wrong in that they were purely looking at the extremist guests he interviewed and only using that in their criticism of him.
1: Hmm.
2: So they would only round in on the, the very kind of controversial guests who had checkered pasts and they were saying... You know, this is what's bad about the show. Uh, I know that he sometimes has conversations with other people, but we're going to focus on this. Why that's wrong is when you watch a whole load of Rubin Report content, what you realize is there is a Rubin Report funnel through which every interview goes through. And this doesn't matter if the interview is with Stephen Fry or if it's with Stefan Molyneux. They all go through the same Rubin Report funnel. Uh, and what this is is Dave himself is equipped to talk about only a handful of topics, <laughs> and not only that, but he knows his audience wants to hear about those topics. So this has an effect at the the end of his guest, which is academic philosophers, so Lawrence Krauss, Yanis Varoufakis, um, people who have, I guess, legitimate academic credentials or you know that they're, they're legit intellectuals um the effect that the Report funnel has on these people is that they will try and talk to dave about their specialist subject areas and the conversation will be bottlenecked because dave mm-hmm. can't he can't match them step for step and go into those topics so what dave does is he goes and has this defensive mechanism where he'll draw the topics back into what he knows. So let's say they're talking about... Um, Which
0: is like three things.
2: Yeah, exactly. So they'll be talking about uh, economics or something, and he'll say, well, don't you think the left's got that wrong then? <laughs> and I, and I imagine the guest being in a situation where they're like, what? What? I, I don't... What? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not talking about left and right, I'm just talking about e- economics. And I think that's that's the bottleneck effect it has, Uh, And then you can look at that same problem, so the the Rubin Report funnel, and look at what it does to the extremist guests. And he does the same thing, where let's say they have a really controversial idea. So in the case of Stefan Molyneux, we can talk about ethno-nationalism. Dave doesn't feel comfortable going into that more controversial area with the guest, So he'll bring the conversation back to some tepid conversation about the role the guest plays in triggering the left which then means that the actual controversial ideas which should be the bread and butter of his show aren't discussed nor are they even brought up Uh, and i think it's the same problem that works its way into every interview it's not just the bad ones that are bad it's also the good guests that get a six out of ten interview or a five out of Mm ten interview
1: but he does
0: discuss things like um you know brain size differences with (laughs) say molyneux and um how the how jews are responsible for creating the nazi party in canada with lauren southern and the hair splitting differences between white nationalism and white supremacy with lauren (laughs) southern yeah
2: well well, high
0: level important ideas there
2: my brain was still in recovery mode. No, I think I think you could challenge that and say he doesn't discuss those things because
0: Ooh, really? if
2: because if we were going to discuss brain sizes, <laughs> I mean, one person would volunteer an idea about them, and then I would say, uh, what what you know what backs that up? Why do you think they have that size? I might contribute. Uh, The alternative viewpoint of, well, there's these other measures being Uh done that shows that's not the route or or maybe scientists don't actually look at that to explain that they would look at other things that would be discussing that idea, because then you would then flesh it out and work out if it actually held water. Um, So I think that's the point that maybe a lot of um, a lot of people on the left miss.
0: Mm, Dave Rubin is is like a bobblehead. He's is that
2: even is, is that even the controversial ideas aren't really being discussed
0: <laughs> yeah but um, i mean i guess for the people who've been so desperate to see those ideas in the mainstream uh, just having mm-hmm. them dropped in to a big show like that has massive exposure it's like a huge win right even if you're not actually um i guess dissecting those ideas and talking about them for ages because Dave simply can't talk about anything for ages.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it's more, um, the sanitization of -hmm. them and presenting them as something else. I think that's the big problem. Um, it's more because he cloaks what they are with vaguely liberal values and will use, um, I guess, I guess, I guess, legitimate arguments in a way you know um you know we should listen to different points of view that's a general idea that people can agree with Mm -hmm. um you know we shouldn't defame people because of one or two bad things they've done i guess that's an idea that we as as well everyone would agree with
0: depending on what the bad thing is like if it's like yeah or wanting genocide then go ahead i say and that's the problem.
2: Is what the bad thing is is what he hides.
0: Right, exactly. Hey, Tommy Robinson, are you an anti-Muslim yeah. bigot?
2: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, and I think um, again, Tommy Robinson, he's he's a textbook example of uh, someone who, I think, I think, like you said, the part of of your conversation with Sam Harris that I quoted in my video, the fact that he can switch. You know, the way he talks, depending on who he's in front of, is something that gives him a lot of wiggle room Mm -hmm. whenever charges are levied against him. Um, If he can find one example where he's been moderate and point to that and say, look at this, where was I? Where was I controversial in this clip here? Mm -hmm. Then he's already kind of got people in the audience thinking, oh, yeah yeah, he's right. And, and you know what, we, you know, we should be able to criticize Islam. And uh, people who, who are already invested in that cause have not much reason to really disbelieve him, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so back to the timeline thing for a second. So you found Sargon um, around 2015. And then when did you come to Dave Rubin?
2: Dave Rubin would have been um, his interview with Milo, which I think for a lot of people was what put the Rubin report on the map. Right. Mm. Was that
0: 2016,
2: 2016? Yeah. So it wasn't, I think he did an interview with Milo in, uh, at the end of 2015. Then he had him back on in 2016. Um, and this, and that was
0: after the Tommy Robinson one or.
2: I think it would have been after. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, at this point, uh, Dave Rubin, I didn't really didn't really understand the whole phenomenon of what I was seeing. It mm-hmm. was just uh, a kind of nothing interview style for mm-hmm. me, and I was thinking, well, this probably isn't a show that I'm going to watch. Um, and then I think the thing was he just kept coming up. It was like whenever,
1: mm-hmm.
2: whenever you'd see clips of a. Um, uh, of any controversial person saying something negative about feminism, you'd then see the camera pan out and this guy Ruben would be there uh, sitting opposite them. I think this is totally a point you could make, is that using those people, uh, people like Milo and people like Paul Joseph Watson, who have massive, massive social media followings, in essence, was really what what got him in the limelight mm-hmm. because those videos got massive kind of sharing potential cause they, they give you a lot of little soundbite things that are like, you know, anti PC talking points. Uh, and then Rubin was always the guy in the background, just sort of, you know, just there. Um, and so through that, he then tied his name together with this, this cause, which otherwise because Dave Rubin himself didn't have any, the colorful opinions and, if you listen to the way Ruben talks, he's not especially kind of, uh, shocking or for that reason. Not engaging. At all. yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's so very, dull. That's it. He's just very like, well, yeah, we talk about this and then we get this. He wouldn't have that potential without these guests being there on his show. Um, and so I think if we then progress to like later 2016, by this point, I've seen an awful lot of Dave Rubin. Um, and that was also when he'd become very uh, forthcoming in his support for Donald Trump. Mm. It was hidden anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept seeing him saying about liberalism and these values, and I, I, for me, it was clear to pretty much anyone was um, either I think either centrist or on the left that that you know what he was representing himself as wasn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Because you know our values don't come out in the little monologues we have about them. They come out in the way we act day to day, and you know the kind of causes we get behind. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So yeah, I think the point where the "Ask Me Anything" happened was the
0: famous one where everyone dunked on him on his own Reddit, right?
2: That was where I became fascinated by him (laughs) rather than just being aware of him. Because at that stage, if you look at the Ask Me Anything, it was so civil and polite the way people were asking him questions. And all of the people asking questions all seemed to be coming from a very genuine place. Um, Many of them saying that they watched a lot of his interviews. Uh, Many of them saying that they supported... Uh, you know, this uh, this cause that he had created on YouTube for, you know, upholding uh, free speech and discussing ideas, but all of them with these questions that kind of cut to the heart of, but how good is your platform for actually doing these things? Mm-hmm. We have our doubts. And I think seeing Dave giving nothing responses to all of those questions or avoiding them completely at that point, I was like, Okay, so I guess he's going to witness a a drop in subscribers at this point because anyone that's Mm. behind the cause at this point can see that he's not actually, you know, he's not up for debate. He's not willing to debate any of his ideas. He's not able to defend any of his interviews. He's just going to shirk the responsibility of it. And then to see his subscriber base grow like tenfold after that, I
0: was like, wow. So who do you think he's appealing to now?
2: Now it's a really, really uh different time than what we had even a year ago, I mm-hmm. think. Because I think for a long time this is another thing that I think people perhaps were a bit uh bit of a smokescreen for us on. Is we are very acutely aware of all of the controversial guests who've been on the Rubin Report. And the reason for that is because we follow those controversial people um, as I I guess people who oppose them very strongly. So we all know who Stefan Molyneux is. We all know who Tommy Robinson is and all these guests that he's had on, Lauren Southern, Bridget Gabriel, we all have an interest to some level of hearing those people because we, we very uh, strongly oppose, you know, what they stand for and the kind of messages they, they give. Um, normal people who just tune into YouTube on a kind of casual basis have no idea who those people are genuinely. Like they, they would not know who Stefan Molyneux is.
0: Mm-hmm. And That's so true. Like my real life friends have no idea of yeah. who these people are.
2: Absolutely no clue. And so when you bring up arguments of, ah, but he did this controversial interview that carries really no water For the vast majority of people, it it really doesn't matter. And what they see uh, Dave being on his show is very civil um, balanced to an extent in the way he answers questions.
0: But don't you think like, okay, if they don't know Stefan Molyneux or Milo or whatever, but still people like Tommy Robinson, people like um, Paul Joseph Watson, Infowars, those people are now like sort of leaking into the mainstream. People know who they are for sure.
2: Sure, but I and think... And not for that, good reasons. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And Tommy Robinson, especially in England. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you can point to is his his audience is, is probably not mainly England people. It's probably people in the US, right? Because um,
0: of people like Dave Rubin helping him sort of...
2: That's it. And re-brand so rebrand
0: and sanitize. And there was a part in that uh, Tommy Robinson video where Dave was like, "Oh yeah, Pagida doesn't sound like a hate group at all."
2: <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like he, um, it's like the information he knows is is only what they what is said in the interviews. Thus, leaving his worldview to be entirely formulated by what he's told by the person in front of him, which.
0: Which is like something a six-year-old could do, you know, like interview like that.
2: Yeah. And also when you think about it, if you think about anyone that's involved in politics on any level, you would look into things, right? You would. And and that's, I, I, I've always felt that it was a bit of a charade that he didn't know things Mm -mm. about guests. Mm -hmm. I I strongly believe that he does know all the controversies.
0: Maybe not Uh, even all, but some at least, surely.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, but I think what was lacking before, and this is why I talk about him having this, you know, wider audience of people that don't know about these guests is what was lacking was the evidence to establish that there were patterns in the way he was interviewing that consistently did the same thing of misrepresenting guests and viewpoints. Mm -hmm. So when I went into this, I think there was some videos about Dave Rubin on YouTube, but I felt that they were also short and they all dealt with such specific things that for any general person watching, that wouldn't be enough to really establish that Ruben was a bad interviewer because they're not actually going into all of his interviews. So what I was mainly aiming to do was if I can show people seven, eight, nine, ten examples of something of him doing the same thing that leads to the same effect on, you know, misrepresenting a viewpoint and leading his audience to a certain conclusion. At that point, you can no longer say that it's a one-off. It's a pattern. Mm -hmm. It's like a pattern of behavior that he does consistently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I felt like, yeah, if people can walk away from that and say, you know, well, I still fully support him. That's fine. At least now, you know, the arguments against him and you know that they hold water because there are the examples
1: Mm -hmm. but in a way
0: i feel like the people that want to support him uh like they've always known what the arguments against him are but they always have like some dishonest comeback i'm sure you've also gotten like ruben fans like still telling you that you're being dishonest you're misrepresenting or right yeah well the
2: biggest the biggest one is this uh this is the one that i get all the time and i've brought it upon myself entirely um <laughs> uh if you don't like him don't watch him and i'm, I'm like okay i guess yeah uh and obviously because i've spent so long watching him so how, roughly so long, how much did.
0: time did you spend watching him
2: i would say close to 100 hours oh my gosh
0: it,
2: <laughs> Because this is this is the thing is the way I actually approached this video, I had the whole thing written from the start uh, because the whole thing was made up of me watching hours and hours of Ruben Report videos, and every time he'd do something that was contradictory or false or 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 I guess um, went against the principles that he'd laid out for the show, I just noted it down, did a timestamp, hmm. and. I kept doing it and kept watching more and more and more. And I ended up with like a hundred pages of notes. Uh, what I didn't know was cause I'd never made a YouTube video before 20 minute, like 20 pages of notes equals like an hour of video. So when I went to make the video, I realized it was going to be seven hours long or something. <laughs>
1: um,
2: so that was when I had to then, oh, it can't be one video. It has to be three. And so I went about restructuring it and classifying the kind of errors, faults into categories of, you know, different, different genres of dishonesty. And then- <laughs>
0: different genres of dishonesty. That's a beautiful uh, yeah. Dave Rubin <laughs> takeaway lesson there.
2: So yeah, that's how I ended up with, with the three instead of just one. I, it was always meant to be one, but um, it was too long.
0: <laughs> Dave Rubin gave you too much to criticize yeah.
2: <laughs> but also that yeah that, what i was saying before so that criticism of if you don't like him don't watch him i think if we're using that then okay have you ever criticized a film that you didn't like and said reasons you didn't like
0: it? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing sorry um, but it is yeah.
2: If you didn't like it, you don't watch it. You ever criticized a video game you didn't like? I mean,
0: and all like the people it, saying like this it. are like, you know, obsessed with criticizing feminism or Islam. It's like, if you don't like it, just don't be a feminist <laughs> don't, or don't be Muslim. Uh,
2: that's it. So that's, that's the argument I get the most often. It, I, and it's kind of like, yeah, if we live in this world where not liking something equals, you know, just, just don't be involved in it, then no one's allowed to criticize anything ever. And there's no point in saying any opinions about anything ever.
0: Right. Definitely. Dave Rubin shouldn't criticize the left because he left the left.
2: <laughs> don't Just don't be part of it.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> He's made a whole video saying he isn't. But then if you call him right wing, he's going to sue you.
2: Yeah. Well, I also this is this is the thing as well. He's such a memeable guy.
0: <laughs> he really is. He's a clown.
2: And and that that's the thing is that has in itself led to a kind of atmosphere now where he's so easy to just clip a little thing of and be like, wow, wow, that is so Dave Rubin. And he's got his own brand of tomfoolery, hasn't he, in the things he (laughs) says, because he he mentions (laughs) the the word ideas so much that you can find it in any interview, and it'll always be in some bizarre context.
0: Right, and a couple of years ago, it was regressives, regressives, regressive left, (laughs) regressive. And it was like every video of his had like 50 of these regressive, regressive left. And I used to think... Surely his audience has got to get bored of him talking about the same thing again and again and again. How long can it last? Well, Well, that's it. That's it. They love it. They love to be told what they want. It's like a toddler almost, you know, wanting repetition. The same storybook all the time. The left is bad, and the left is bad, and feminists are bad, and we all lived happily ever after without them.
2: Well, I think what what you get is a list of cameos of people from different areas so let's say they're a historian it'll be like here's a historian hmm why are leftists bad from a historical perspective <laughs> and let's say it's an economist it's like hmm why are the leftists bad from an economic perspective <laughs> uh,
0: it's just like it, it's like what
2: role is this new guest going to play and why are in, the left in,
0: bad it, from a skull shaped perspective
2: yeah, in like you know the left is bad the musical
0: Um, (laughs) oh
1: god that'd be fantastic can you imagine oh I'd love
0: it but that's
2: that's what I think the show has kind of become and I think this is also the reason why you now have Quillette even
0: even yes
2: because he's damaging their brand and that and that's actually true is in order for this to work you have to maintain a veneer of
0: right intellectual
2: curiosity and intellectualism and i think he's blowing it for them he
0: is he is and for the idw but they're a bit slower to realize um yeah considering they're the greatest intellectuals of our times it's weird that almost everyone realizes what a dumbass dave rubin is except for them um, well i
2: think i think they totally do i think they really <laughs> do like um okay
0: so, okay, hold on. So do you think it's because they truly are the greatest intellectuals of our time that they realize, or because really even the right wingers so, realize now?
2: I recently saw a video of Sam Harris doing a town hall where Eric Weinstein comes on halfway through, and Eric Weinstein says, um, he said, I just feel like with criticism... I've been, you know, I've been deprived of, of good criticism. So I feel like I'm, um, you know, playing this game against a bad tennis player. I'm not at my best. <laughs> and, then he, and then he says, I recently saw a commentary on one of the members of the IDW who gave a breakdown in in very sort of precise and articulate way uh, and heartfelt way, their problems with, with you know, this, this person and a lot of the points landed and he then said and this person said uh about tommy robinson that it was the way he presented himself in different situations eric weinstein has watched the vids mm-hmm. and he, i don't think that you would sit and watch he, he clearly watched like all three because um I'm assuming if he got to the Tommy Robinson one, which is the longest one, you're not going to do that first. I think he probably, I'm not going to say he has negative opinions about Ruben, but I don't think that they are oblivious to the charade that is the Ruben report and the kind of show he runs.
0: But Sam Harris, also recently, I guess by recently I mean I think in the last six months, was asked specifically about Ruben in an interview and he specifically praised Ruben's interviewing techniques and till Ruben still had a Patreon he used to fund Ruben's Patreon and I I know you heard my conversation with Sam Harris I asked mm. him over and over again in different ways with different examples I tried my best like trust me I was hoping <laughs> for him to come out of that. And I I don't know, I wanted to keep respecting him, but it was very hard to do. Like
2: this, this is the problem. I think that the more articulate and intellectual thinkers that espouse right-wing talking points have to deal with is that in order for you to maintain credibility in a general sense, you have to be willing to call out the bad actors on your side who definitely aren't doing as good a job as you of, you know, of espousing those viewpoints. Right. And
1: especially
0: when you call on others to, you know, to call out the bad actors on their sides all the time.
2: That's it. I think in order for you to maintain credibility, you've got to be capable of doing that. And I think, um, now, whatever people say about traditional media, this is the main problem with new media and youtube is that we have these different circles of of people all sharing each other's content all appearing on each other's podcasts um, and they're very reticent to condemn anyone in that circle when they do something untoward or, or something which they in terms of their own principles have a problem with and i guess we see this on on all sides in different ways but with the intellectual dark web, particularly because of the values they talk about all the time, I think it's a bigger bone of contention for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Because that's exactly it.
2: Because if you're I mean, for for a I guess for someone who is a complete blockhead, either a blockhead leftist or a blockhead conservative who's just gonna toe the party line all the time, people aren't really bothered. Because it's like, oh, well, we know what we're getting with you. That's Mm -hmm. fine. We can either work. But I think uh, when you get people talking about this kind of uh, marketplace of ideas and talking about how we need to almost clean up the state of public discourse and debate, you have to be willing to do it yourself. You can't just say to everyone else to do it and, and use it as like shield for your own publicity and and that stuff without actually doing it yourself.
0: Or if you're Um, going on about how you're above tribalism, how you're the only like objective, rational person out there, everyone else is, you know, biased. And then if you're going to, if you're going to have these obvious biases, people are going to be more pissed off about that because you're the one claiming to be above it all, you know? The average yeah. right winger or left winger isn't claiming to be so super rational.
2: That's it, and I think I I think that's the main reason why they attract so much criticism. Uh, they're often, I, I guess, they have the appearance of seeming completely bamboozled by it all. It's like, why are people asking me to do X? Mm. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's because it's because that's meant to be what you're all about. I think I think it's the it's kind of the subtle hypocrisy of of what you're running
0: not so subtle but yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so you you didn't come to this through the online atheist direction did you
2: no i mean i'll be honest i was i would say all the way through my teenage years and into my you know into the last few years I was never really invested in politics to any degree. Mm-hmm. I was, I think, like many people in this bubble of thinking that society's just going to carry on progressing and there's never ever going to be any repeals of any gains that people have made in civil rights mm-hmm. or any areas. So I don't really need to worry about that stuff. I can just keep enjoying music and all, mm-hmm. all the stuff that I do. Um, in a weird way, it was seeing that skeptic community of kind of Sargon of Akkad and all affiliated people growing on YouTube was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm completely out of touch with everything that's actually going on. Um, and it, and it, that was true to a certain extent. I had no idea that... But um, you're
0: not an ex-fan or anything of any of them?
2: No, I've always, I mean, I've always been, actually all the way through uni, I was really annoyed by feminists. And I was actually really annoyed by you know, people who, oh, okay, so I used to, I used to be really non PC, I guess I used to use like, you know, the F word to describe uh, gay people.
0: Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, if it was, I guess, in the well, you're not that old, but in the 90s, <laughs> a lot of people did. But
2: yeah, it's, and I think it's because I took so I grew up watching loads of South Park, and mm. they did they they basically did an episode on why saying that word was totally okay, and anyone that gets offended was a stupid idiot. And I really took that to heart as a kid. I was like, "Yep, that, yep, well, that's the goes to
0: show how much damage <laughs> South Park did." And it, wasn't it? Didn't it come out that the creators are Republicans too?
2: I don't know. I think I think they're just kind of people who want to watch the world burn. Uh, mm. The guys who made it. But I think by the time I was discovering this community online, I was already 21. So you've gone through enough of, uh, I guess, social groups and encountering different people of different walks of life that when you land in a skeptic community, they're not necessarily just defending your right to use those words. I could instantly tell that it was something that went way beyond that and there was Definitely undertones of racism to everything they were saying, where I definitely wasn't on board with it. Mm
0: -hmm. So, you were an anti PC type of person that still was skeptical of these anti PC people, is what you're saying? Well, it's
2: more like all I wanted was the right to say the F word for gay people. Oh, oh,
0: that's
2: all. That was it. So all all it was, I guess, was my right to say certain words and then not be called out. So I, would get annoyed whenever, (laughs) um, a feminist or someone said, wait a minute, you've just used the word gay to mean stupid. That's not right. And I'd be like, "Mm, what right do you have to tell me that? Um, that's the kind of person I, I I guess, I, I guess I still am that kind of person to a certain extent, but I, you understand, so the N word is bad. And then you're like, I somehow conditioned my brain not to say that.
0: Mm.
2: How do I do that? You didn't How, want the
0: right <laughs> to say that one.
2: No. Uh, and, I, and I was like, okay, so if I am um, sort of clever enough to somehow not say the N word, why can I not apply that logic to this F word that seems to really like get under people's skin and people genuinely seem kind of upset by it. But I had, it was almost like I had to come to that conclusion on my own, without someone hectoring me about it and saying, well, what you've done is bad. And, you know, in this kind of moralizing way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the pathway that a lot of us who are left-wing creators on YouTube take is in response to people who make right-wing content, where it can often be quite hectoring, where it's um, a diatribe of bullet point list why feminine is bad why it's ruining your life this is so bad these people are disgusting i think we have to respond to it with a argument that doesn't necessarily ever attack people but slowly walks you through our thinking on things and that's our only real way of persuading people is to somehow make them get to the conclusion on their own mm. without necessarily saying that anything about their own thinking is bad or wrong
0: so you think that's a good way to do it
2: it's the only way it's
0: the only way to do it huh yeah i don't know i mean i i i was there at one point i agree with you i mean i agreed with you at at, at, like you remind me of me a few years ago you know um where i wanted to be patient and uh try to patiently explain these things to people and talk it Mm. out with Tommy Robinson and and try to get Sam Harris to see why these things are bad and, you know, have all these conversations, talk to Robert Spencer on my podcast and all of that. Mm. But now, I mean, after I've done all of that and I've seen that it it doesn't, it didn't do anything, um, Tommy Robinson just modifies uh, his views for who he's, or he did at least, I think now he's a bit more open about not having turned over a new leaf um mm. the time I spoke to him he was like oh I've left the EDL and I'm changing and this was Tommy Robinson new era and all of that so I wanted to sort of extend a hand to him and and looking back I feel like that was just uh, it was silly I don't know
2: well I think the, the one thing that is perhaps very obvious now, which wasn't at the time, is the EDL was the way it was for a reason, right? Like, the EDL was a group where violence would follow them everywhere. And you'd always have these altercations with the police. You'd always have kind of Nazi sympathizing people within that movement. And that didn't come out of nowhere. You know, if... The problem is that a nuanced argument against Islam doesn't get people out in the streets. If you're someone who is trying to get people to come and march with you, and you're like, right, guys, we need to make a really carefully considered argument about the parts of this holy book that are really having a bad effect on society, that's really not gonna work, is it, to get people motivated? Whereas if you are someone who can sort of harness, I guess, um, I guess you could, yeah, you could definitely call them racist kind of rhetoric. Um, and then backtrack whenever you're asked in interviews and go back to the holy Mm -hmm. book stuff. That's very, very good. Like that's, that's a really good strategy, uh, because you can be one thing to your followers Mm -hmm. and another thing to the media.
0: Yep. I wanted to talk to you about, um, like how once you unravel Dave Rubin, if you can sort of see that theme throughout the whole IDW and how Mm. they will carry water for Tommy Robinson and stuff like that, but then they'll leave themselves enough wiggle room, say, I didn't know enough about him, but let me hear, you know, criticize his critics and stuff like that. So that was like one of my criticisms of your, um, I think it was your first or second video, Mm. where – you talked about Joe Rogan and Eric Weinstein in like a more positive light. And I, I was there, too. Like, I, I would think, I guess, before that in comparison to Ruben, Joe Rogan is a, like a great interviewer because he'll actually push back at times.
2: Sure. So, yeah, this is um, it, everything in the videos is all very carefully crafted and considered to be persuasive Mm -hmm. to Dave Rubin's audience.
0: Right, right, right. Gotcha. Okay.
2: So I have my own criticisms of Joe Rogan, but for the purpose of the Rubin criticism, I always had my mind on, you know, what are the positive things that we can talk about in podcasts? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you compare Dave Rubin to David Pac-Man, who's on the left Mm -hmm. and is very, very kind of... um, He's got a big presence on YouTube. Everyone on the right would know who he is. Mm -hmm. Everyone on the IDW would know who he is. Probably dislike him, I'd imagine. Um, If my Mm -hmm. criticism is founded on comparing Dave Rubin to David Pacman, automatically any of Rubin's viewers are going to be locked out of it because Mm -hmm. they're instantly going to think, well, he's just praising the left one Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. dissing our guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, So... If I can, the criticisms I have about Rubin formulate them around people that his audience like and enjoy Mm -hmm. listening to. That's suddenly ten times more compelling. Mm -hmm. Because I think often uh, Rubin and Rogan are lumped in as being essentially the same platform. Mm. Um, I think there are differences to point out, Mm -hmm. and they're worthwhile differences Mm -hmm. to point out.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So the fact that Rogan doesn't just have political conversations with right-wingers, the fact that he has comedians, um, I guess, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, people who don't really fit into any category, Hannibal Buress. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fact that he does that is something that says something about the variety of content you're going to see on his show. It automatically points you to a more varied show. A and A bit, also, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: but there think, is a huge right wing component there as well. But yeah, so, you're right. It's definitely different from Ruben and uh I guess it's better. So that yes. is worth pointing to when trying to convince Ruben viewers. Yeah, definitely I can respect that. But yeah, yeah, like I was saying, somewhere along the way like I started off really trying to speak with these people and engage with their ideas and i got like no honest engagement back and um mm. just like a bunch of dishonest criticisms and what you refer to as uh martin baileys and mm. you know so i just i lost my patience now like i just don't have the patience to sit and Endlessly engage with like a Sam Harris fan, or of which I used to be one, you know, like Mm. I'm an ex Sam Harris fan, so I know his content very well. I know his um rhetorical tricks. So when people are like, Oh, you just don't know him well enough, I'm like, No, no, I've known (sighs) him well enough for years, and that's how I came to these conclusions. I've just lost the patience.
2: Yeah, I completely understand. I think. It's, it's as well the way that this environment that we're in of Twitter amps up anything to like a thousand times the level of conflict that it would be if it was an actual real life conversation. Um, I really enjoy going through <laughs> precise details of an argument with someone online. This might end
0: I was there. (laughs) Believe me, I was
2: there. (laughs) Um, I think the thing that you've always got to consider is that you are not you're not really engaged in the dialogue for the sake of the person you're speaking to. It's always that some neutral observer, right,
0: right, right, exactly,
2: is going to be watching and forming their opinions based on what they're seeing. Now, if they see a consistent pattern and let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, they're like, you know, just floating about, they don't really have a political belief, but if they keep seeing people who identify as left wingers being really patient online and being really um, meticulous and thorough in the way they present their viewpoints, having solid reasons if they're criticizing the right having solid reasons for those criticisms that overall will have an effect on making them think ah, these people they really aren't that bad you know I've heard a lot of stuff about
0: certainly but after the 900th time (laughs) you're kind of like so so and I still do it sometimes so for example I was engaging with Eric Weinstein yesterday who proceeded to accuse me of trifling with genocidal impulses um, and send, like, a whole lot of racists and white nationalist apologists into my mentions. Um, and, and for what, you ask? I said to, like, basically, like, what? You're upset about BuzzFeed listicles that are criticizing whiteness? <laughs> like, he was calling them evil, and he was sort of flattening the concept of, Racism is like, you know, I'm against all racism, but, you know, he kept bringing up anti-white racism as being, you know, so evil. And I'm like, dude, that's not really a major concern in the West, right? Well,
2: well, the the problem is, is with the ideals they espouse, that shouldn't really be a valid argument. Because if your argument is that BuzzFeed and Vox and general liberal media have been going too hard on social justice and that's turned people into white nationalists,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: then you can easily make the counter-argument that there being an increased presence of white nationalists just increases the amount of social justice warriors.
0: Right. Never goes that way. Or, you know, justify jihadism or justify... You know, people going into uh, movements like BLM, which they have no tolerance for, you know, which they call divisive identity politics.
2: That's the problem is the arguments. If we're going into that realm of trying to defend the most heinous and violent people of our political side, then there's always just an equal and opposite counter argument. Sorry,
0: I want to make clear I'm not equating BLM with jihadism or white nationalism. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't either, no. Yeah, like, I I didn't mean to do that. I just meant to put it forth as an example of something that they won't tolerate when they have all the charitableness for white nationalism.
2: No, man, BLM's going to hear about this, you're (laughs) cancelled.
0: Oh, well, I've always got one foot in the cancelled thing because ex-Muslim, right? So...
1: (laughs) Yeah, true. people always
0: assume I'm like the Breitbart kind of ex-Muslim when they don't know me, and I'm not, I'm really not. That whole movement has unfortunately gone to shit. Like I don't know if you followed it or whatever, but it started off as a very noble, uh, you know, let's destigmatize apostasy from Islam because it should be destigmatized. Oh, and then yeah, of course. It became a very diamond and silk and candace owens like situation fast
2: yeah yeah and i think yeah by the time i was tuned into this stuff i think it had already gone to the place that you're describing i think there is definitely reasons to criticize islam and sure, you yeah. need to be honest about what those are this is why i see david pacman as a really good person um i guess as a representative of the left mm-hmm. Because he's able to criticize the bad actors on our own side, like a measured proportioned way where his values don't seem to shift completely to the extreme Mm -hmm. right by doing Mm so. And actually, I was really, really thankful that I had examples of him interviewing Richard Spence, for example, to make my arguments in my video.
0: Mm -hmm. I've I've, uh, recommended that interview a lot, too. It's a great interview because he does not let richard spencer get away with anything like he will dig out his views you know expose them to his audience
2: well this is what he did that was really really good i think is what white nationalists tend to do is pivot to something quite abstract so you'll be talking to them uh, and in their minds they're like yep we're gonna get rid of all the minorities but what they'll say is i just care about you know our nation you know people who were born and raised here i care about maintaining the sovereignty of our country um all of these values that are very general and i guess everyone just to a certain extent can sympathize with and what david packman did in that interview with richard spencer whenever you sense him going into that abstract world of honor and, and noble values david was like so who would be deported from the ethno-state? Which people? And how do we decide who those people are? And so he kept drilling down into the details of the end result of Richard Spencer's belief if everyone accepted it as Mm -hmm. something that was going to happen. And I think that's what, uh, if we're going to talk about our boy Rubes, what (laughs) he can't do is he can't nail them on the specifics. Well, not can't,
0: he also doesn't want to like he wants to polish their views up he wants to hide the bad parts for them like yeah was it contra points that phrase something like about how they i forget who she was talking about but something about them cradling bigotry gently like it's like a baby bird or something (laughs) it's beautifully phrased i'm not doing it justice but but that's what he does that's what a lot of the idw people do in my view, is that their function is to sort of soften all the bigotries that are actually a problem and exaggerate the SJWs.
2: Yeah. Well, this is, I think this is the thing that I also, um, maybe a a slightly new point that I brought up in my video. Most of the points I make are things that I think everyone has been saying for so long and it's just with some examples, but I think think Dave also has an acute awareness of what he's doing in, oh, in a yes. way that people dust over because they're like, well, he just sits and agrees. No, I think he very carefully sculpts the conversations in a way that he knows is going to play well with his audience.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is why I don't like the, um, oh, he's just in it for the money. He has no real pol- political views kind of criticism, because I think if he was just accidentally interviewing only far right or interviewing like extremists and he would interview extremists of all sorts and sure. it wouldn't be this consistent pattern of far right crazies getting polished i do think yeah. he's sympathetic to uh, some far right politics
2: or to such an extent that it plays no part in him determining any of his values. So he he cares so little that he's willing to go completely to the most racist uh, views and defend them. How do you so care
0: if, so little that you defend the most racist people out there? I feel yeah. like you have to be sympathetic to do that.
2: Well, What you've got to understand about Dave is that at the end of the day, what is consistent in his whole career... Is he's a guy who's been trying to have popularity and yes. fame for a long time.
0: And now he's complaining um, about being in the recent uh, New York Times header image. Yeah. You know the article about YouTube radicalization. Dave, you wanted to be popular. There you go.
2: <laughs> well, this is it. It's like and and what you see throughout his whole career is trying a thing and that thing not working out or not going the way he he wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um. And you see that repeating it over and over again. He tried to be a comedian. That didn't go the way he wanted it to. He tried to have like a, a Young Turks kind of show. Mm. And it didn't really go the way he wanted it to.
0: And then he stabs people in the back. He's like such a terrible person too. Like- yeah.
2: So what, what you realize is when you, when you get to the stage where you find something, where now you have an audience, you have all the fans that you always wanted doing the other things you did. Of course, you're going to lean into that. Like there's no, and and actually I understand it on a smaller scale because look what's happened to my Twitter since I made the Dave Rubin videos. I've always tweeted about a bit of music, a bit of politics, a bit of this, a bit of that. Every time I tweet about music, I get the same like one or two likes that I was getting before. Whenever I tweet something about Dave Rubin, (laughs) man, that blows up like every time. Yes, And Amplify that effect by 1 million subscribers <laughs> Yeah. Um. and someone with Dave Rubin's specific kind of uh, longing for fame and, you know, relevancy. Uh, uh, and the result is quite a natural thing, I think.
0: See, I um, had to go through that, obviously, on a smaller scale to Dave as well, because a lot of people followed me when I was, like, mainly critical of Islam. Yeah, for sure. Perhaps... Uh, it attracted a lot of the wrong crowd. I always wanted to believe that there are some very like fair and liberal minded people that that are interested in good faith criticism of Islam. How wrong I was, though. I mean, obviously there are, but those people aren't like fetishizing ex Muslims, right? Um, for sure. So it seemed for a time that I had this audience that just hated me. So after Trump, I was like, I'm not. I'm not going to focus on Islam because this is just like getting all these MAGA people in my mentions, and I really don't want anything to do with that. Like, I've never been about that, I've never been about demonizing Muslims. That's not Mm. what I'm about. So, when I started tweeting more about the Western far right, these same people, I guess, who had followed me for being ex Muslim and being critical of Islam, however, Right. It was that whatever I was criticizing, they were following me for the wrong reason because they wanted their like anti-Islam outrage porn or whatever. And they wanted to fetishize this person who grew up in Saudi Arabia who can say like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't like this and whatever. I've lived through it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it felt like if I ever said anything about Islam, I'd get like 100 likes or whatever. And then if I ever talked about Trump, like... Too like just like what you're saying, right? Yeah. But and so
2: this, yeah, it's a. Re- and I, I
0: had to fight against that. Like you know, I felt kind of sickened when I realized that that's what what a lot of my audience was, or they were like hate following me, and so then I had to s- sort of push back against it, and it was hard. But it's it's possible, right? It's it was hard because you you lose a lot of support when people are like oh, you're not the person I thought you were. And then you lose Patreon support, especially when I became like vocally against the prophet of atheism.
1: You know? <laughs> yep.
0: um, that was like really hard because you get pylons. When I was like critical of Ruben in the early days, the uh, amount of abuse I used to get like people when I was critical, Gad Sad, people calling me, you know, a sand N-word C-U-N-T. I mean, it was bad. And only now, I think, in the last six months, maybe last year, I've come to a place where I've actually got a community of, like, left-leaning people that trust me despite my being ex-Muslim that will signal boost me. You know, otherwise I had distrust from the left and hatred from the people who wanted me to only shit on Islam. And so I felt like... Wow, this is awful. (laughs) But you can do it. You can push back against it, not without uh, a struggle, but you can.
2: I think the thing is, as well, the longer it goes on with you not pushing back, the more courage it takes and the bigger the kind of pushback when you do so.
0: Dave has so much income to lose from pandering to the right that, you know, he'd have to, I don't know lose a lot if he changed but if he had any values it would be hard to sleep at night doing what he's doing you know boosting homophobes and standing with steven crowder and just i don't but, know how he does it yeah
2: it because no but because of um i guess his own sort of personality uh, and the i guess the mildness of dave rubin the person he doesn't have anything else really um, that would lend him credibility with his audience, apart from agreeing with people. That's kind of what he has. <laughs> his
0: thing. But I do um, feel that he is angered. He's angered by diverse Google doodles. He's angered by Islam. He's angered by, you know, uh, immigration or whatever. Like, these are his personal values. That he obviously doesn't make too clear, but if you follow him for long enough, mm. you can tell that he is... Like, he has values that he is following through in his show. Like, this isn't just some accident or some pandering, just just pure... It is pandering. He's leaned into the pandering, but it also coincides with his own personal views. I mean, there were, like, older blog posts that people found, like, you know... I
2: I was about to say, yeah, those... I I think when those got aired, everyone kind of was like, hmm, oh, so maybe he wasn't that liberal in the first place, right. even when he was on the Young Turks. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, but I think that, but that's the thing, I would say even um, what, what I've realized uh, since being so embedded in this world is even the right-wing kind of uh, commentator sphere of the internet gets way more kind of uh, extreme people than Dave. and. Those people who are more white nationalist types are not interested in Dave. He's not cutting it for them in the way he perhaps was during the the Trump election. Mm -hmm. So he's not bold and and, and far right enough to to attract that audience anymore. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And he's lost all credibility with any left wing followers he would have had. So what you get is this kind of middle boomer tier following (laughs) who are still there. But how long can that really last with him having the same conversation over and over again?
0: Man, I asked that question like three years ago and here we are. He's more popular than ever. And the thing is, like (sighs) people used to tell me, oh, he's just some dumb YouTuber. He's got no real influence. He's got nothing. Now he's like got, you know, Donald Trump Jr. watches his show and retweets him. And it's, he's not insignificant. He's useful for them.
2: I saw a video where Dave was talking about how he got the Jordan Peterson gig and the description of it is so Dave that I can't believe this is what happened. But Dave was hanging out with Jordan Peterson randomly at one of Jordan Peterson's shows. And he went and said to the management, how about I come out and do some jokes before Jordan goes on? (laughs) And, the management were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so he went and did it. And they were like, oh, everyone everyone loved those those jokes. Oh, about gosh. The
0: Imagine the kind of and, audience you have to have to love Dave Rubin comedy.
2: And then the the management of Jordan Peterson were like, who have you got managing you? And he was like, you if you want. <laughs> and it's like, so I think at each stage, he's always glued himself to the next stage person and i guess it was Milo at the start and then it became uh every sort of skeptic youtuber uh, and then it became Jordan Peterson and that's been the best move of his career
0: <laughs> and you ways. see that even in his you know when he challenges these reporters who call him right wing I would host you on my show to debate Ben at Ben Shapiro at Jordan Peterson at like never himself <laughs> he just tags in a bunch of his like influential friends and, like he's such a chicken shit
2: <laughs> no but it's more like why don't you say that to Ben Shapiro's face oh yeah it's like he, he, that's he, right they're talking about you Dave why don't you, let's say it to you not not Ben Shapiro like why are you bringing Ben in like he doesn't he's irrelevant in this conversation um yeah so I think yeah all Dave really has is is the association and he seems to simultaneously um adore it and like oh but I'm proud to be identified as someone standing with at Lauren Chen at Lauren Southern at all these people um but at the same time says, wait, but I don't agree with at Lauren Chen, at Lauren Southern on everything. Why would you, (laughs) why would you think that? And and it's this weird kind of both embracing and disavowing of all the people he hangs out with all the time. Um, it's really wild.
0: Right. Um, and you never seen Dave push back like he did on the Patreon guy for removing yes. Lauren Southern from the platform. So, I mean, the people that say, oh, he just nods along to everything. No, no, he does not.
2: Until yeah, he has well,
0: reason to push back or like David Frum criticizing Trump or whatever.
2: Well, there's, there's another example that I didn't actually um, get to put in my videos because it didn't fit anywhere. But I think this really shows his duplicitous handling of, of the same issue when it, when the context suits. So, uh, Dave Rubin had Sargon on his show in 2017. It's the interview where they talk about Trump and trolls. The context to this interview is that Sargon had done videos where he targeted feminists, uh, often included some personal attacks. And then the feminists who were the subject of his videos would often be harassed because if you've got an audience that are full time Internet boys and they hate feminism, how naturally are they going to react to you serving them up a fresh kind of target to go at? Mm. So that was the context. Dave talks to Sargon about trolls and Dave says, you know what? I actually love the trolls. I don't really have a problem with them. You know, you're using the tools of the liberals that they've used against us right back against them. And I think it's pretty great. So, so, okay. So that gets said, which is maybe, so maybe Dave in that context, you could, if you're being charitable, assume he didn't know the extent of what the trolling meant. Um, and he was just, you know, just kind of going off what he knew. Then two weeks later, he has Lacey green on the show. Lacey green was a pop feminist who mm-hmm. then turned sceptic and started saying loads of crap about feminists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the point at which Dave decided, oh, it's time to get her on the show. Um, now, what happened Shocking. in the interim? Yeah. So what happened in the interim was a photo had emerged of Lacey Green with Sargon of Akkad. And Dave wanted to talk about this as an example of how Sargon was very, you know, uh, open to collaboration with people of the left, very mm-hmm. civil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question he asks doesn't actually go the way he expects. So he says, "Ah, so I was talking to Sargon two weeks ago, and I knew that he'd done a few videos about you, and uh, I just wanted to, uh, he I, I asked him, Lacey's gonna be there. Are you a bit worried about that?" And he said, "Well, I don't know why I've not got any problem with her. It's nothing personal. And Lacey just kind of interrupts Dave and says, "No Dave, it was personal. And Dave looks at her like dumbfounded deer in the headlights and then
0: brought it back to the left let me guess
2: well so lacy then does a very almost like verging on tears monologue oh no where she says well yeah the thing is dave sargon made a video where he said i would made up being sexually assaulted um and then she said so at this time i started getting you know real death threats uh i do speeches and um these speeches would be kind of called off because of some death threat or, or rape threat that I had against me uh, and she was like and we traced where these uh, people were coming from who were sending me the threats and they were all Sargon's fans like they were all people who are subscribed to Sargon mm-hmm. uh, and so she was like so Sargon actually by lying about me and making these videos it had a real world effect uh, on you know my general well-being and, and health so obviously this has not gone the way that dave thinks it's going to go he's dumbfounded but the way dave reacts is dave says oh well no I, I didn't see any of his videos about you oh yeah well the thing is so me, I, we agree on a lot of stuff he's a, he's a classical liberal he's a great guy um,
0: <laughs> just brush it under the carpet and he he move puts on. forward
2: he puts forward a load of compliments about sargon um at once saying that he doesn't know about it and then also defending sargon <laughs> And it's it's just a really weird reaction. And that's the point. It's points like that where you're like, no, he is aware. He completely totally. is aware. Um, he was his, hoping
0: for, a different, for it to go a different way, and uh, it didn't. And he wanted to move past that.
2: But not only that, now the audience are hearing, I guess, the other side. He then has to provide cover fire and say a load of compliments about the person right. in order to correct the balance of okay oh criticism has been leveled at a friend of the show let's put a load more opinions in there on the other side to say that what they're doing is fine
0: right right there are so many layers of awfulness to dave rubin there are so many layers but that's it yeah as i'm sure you know you're quite the (laughs) expert on dave rubin (laughs) um one last question i wanted to ask you before you had to go was um i did a video on dave like a couple of years ago not at all slick or with nice music or nice graphics or anything because I don't know video editing at all so somebody did it for me and it was just like a quick I think you mentioned that you've seen it
2: I think the arguments in that video maybe started off a lot of a lot of the criticism of Ruben as we know it today uh because it was just it was the first one and I think um (laughs) The guy who you did it with is Alex Katz.
0: Alex Katz, yeah, where I played, like, a Ruben apologist. And that's what I wanted to do. Like, I was so frustrated always of having that same patient trying to engage with Ruben fans and trying to, like, have an honest conversation with them. And they would just, like, lob the same dishonest criticism. So I just wanted to, like, get that out of the way, be the Ruben fan for once, and just Mm. touch those excuses so, yeah, I wanted to talk about the differences in Dave Rubin then and Dave Rubin now, or if you've noticed any. or
2: Yeah, so I actually think the exact things that you and Alex talked about in your video continue to be present mm-hmm. in everything we see now. But I think the difference is two years of him doing the show versus four years of him doing the show, because now... There is a whole catalogue of appearances to choose from, where he's exhibited those same behaviours over and over again. And I think there's also this new phenomenon now of, I guess, okay, the new phenomenon I guess is everyone on the left is constantly making jokes about him, and it's quite funny.
0: But Uh, it's not (laughs) just the left, though. He's he's united. People on the right, people all over the political spectrum that are joking about Dave Rubin. There's this thing called Freedom Tunes or something that did like a Dave Rubin cartoon. And I believe that's a right wing cartoon show on YouTube, right? Where he's just like, I agree. I agree.
2: (laughs) But it's not just that. I think it's, um, I get a lot of, so I don't always check the comments on my videos, but every now and then I peep in. Uh, A lot of commenters are saying that they've been, very put off by his recent reactions to criticism
1: mm.
2: and that's the thing that has almost led them down um, i guess uh, a thinking trail of ah maybe he's not this balanced guy that i kind of thought and i think for a long time dave's strategy and definitely when you put out your video the strategy had been rallying up his base to come and defend him online like you know uh go and put forward the counter arguments often by tagging the journalist and just saying, everyone just go and tell this journalist what you think of their shoddy analysis of me. And for a long time that has held, you know, it, it's worked for him. I think because of the, I guess the ludicrousness of him claiming that Quillette is launching a left-wing partisan attack on him
0: <laughs> those hippies at quillette
2: <laughs> yeah i think the shit
0: that's what he called of, them right in one of his live streams on twitter
2: yeah the the brazenness of arguing that whilst being you know whilst doing a periscope walking down the road and saying you know the race just jealous-
0: science hippies okay. of quillette
2: he's like they're just jealous of me because i'm so successful and me and you guys we've got such a tight bond and they're jealous of us (laughs) it's like i think for a lot of people who have any um who are grown-ups i guess can see that as the kind of high school drama thing that it is and it's a really weird way to react for anyone of dave's age never mind someone who's running a political show where they're meant to discuss ideas.
0: Right. And it's funny because I've seen some people, uh, people that have actually benefited from Ruben's platform, people that have been on his show, like ex Muslims and stuff, see your, um, videos. And I guess because you've made it deliberately to appeal to them and sort of, I guess, praise Weinstein or whatever mm. IDW characters, um, I guess it's made it palatable enough for them to watch. So good for you on that, because well, believe me, the they were out there defending Ruben on the same shit for years. But I think <clears throat> just like you said, how with Quillette, like he's ruining the whole credibility thing for them, the veneer of mm-hmm. some sort of liberal cred. I think so with some ex-Muslims who defended him too in the past, he's ruining it for them. So they have to drop him. Like especially when he comes after their buds Quillette, then they're like, "Hell no!" <laughs> you know? It's,
2: it's yeah. It's the veneer of even just being a grown-up. I think that's that's probably what shatters it for a lot of people. Is he's not even uh, he's not even reacting in a normal kind of adult who has a career in commentary sort of way. Um, Right,
0: let alone the cool-headed rational that they all want to see themselves as. That's it, I think. But what was the funniest to me is that some people were like, but actually, I mean, your video's all right, Timba, but um, one thing you really miss is how Dave Rubin is all the fault at the left, you know? Like, 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 I don't know if you remember that, but that I saw a couple people say that too. It was cracking me up. Like well, you really missed yeah. an opportunity to talk about what brought about the need for a show like Rubin. And I mean, they're obviously insinuating that the left and SJWs and it's all their fault, you know? Most yeah, well, bizarre Dave Rubin criticism I've ever heard.
2: It's more like if you, if you want to analyze why, there's a need for Dave Rubin's show, then should we also analyze why there was a need for social justice in the first place? Then no. we go back <laughs> and analyze why there was a need for laws and why there was a need for protective classes. And you just you can't go back and list every reason why every single thing happened. I think it's it's an attempt, if you can't find fault with the video itself, to say, ah, you missed this or mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't accurately talk about each of Tommy Robinson's crimes mm. and how each of them has a specific reason why he committed them. Uh, and it's just like, well, yeah, that would be really hard to do in the sort of breeze past kind of five minutes still I was talking about them. Um, yeah. So right, I, and yeah. it also
0: fits in so nicely with the whole everything is the fault of the left theme that Ruben yeah. has going on anyway. Because
2: I would say, I mean... In a lot of ways, we, it's easy to, to look at Rubin's platform and, and say, well, you know, Rubin's it's just because of hack Rubin running it. Uh, arguably as well, uh, sort of any platform that appeals to uh, notions of, of freedom and, and these, these very abstract things um, that in themselves are, are neither of the left or the right if a show did that, it wouldn't really have an audience because that's not what we're here on the internet for. Um, and so I, I, I often look at the Rubin Report as a fascinating story of the inevitable happening. Uh, and it's uh, almost in itself, the fact that Rubin started off with this platform where he was trying to to be something or or pretending to be something, but ended up just pivoting really hard into the most extremist content imaginable.
0: Mm-hmm. Pretending. It, it's quite a good I'm yeah, going to go with quite, pretending.
2: Yeah, it's quite a good metaphor for just generally how rhetoric on the Internet works and the kind of content that you need to make in order to, to make people gravitate towards you.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, we've had a good hour and a half of dissecting the depths of Dave Rubin's <laughs> amazing mind. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's been fun. Yeah, I think, I think uh, although... Although his mind doesn't have that many ideas in it <laughs> throughout his actions, you can actually trace some really interesting stuff there. I think it's it's, it's worth talking about.
0: Well, it can actually hold three high-level ideas per day, right? <laughs> Did you ever see that one from his Reddit? Was, like, I think I tweeted it. It's like a picture of Jordan Peterson sitting by his bedside. He's in the hospital, and there's a doctor like giving him some medicine, and it says he can only honestly. have like three High-level like, ideas per day, or
2: something. The quality of the memes has just gone up so much, yeah, uh, and, and kind of keeps getting better as as even within the formats that we've already created, there's new subgroups of Dave Rubin memes based on different things. Um, it's really <laughs> odd. it's really odd the turn it's taken. I don't think we could have predicted it maybe two <laughs> years ago, um, but yeah, I, yeah, I I've got to say. They do say that Dave Rubin's like biggest critics are his biggest fans. Kind can of,
0: com- yeah. Cause- I
2: can, I can confirm that man. I fucking love Dave Rubin. Like I I can't get enough of <laughs> That's hearing true. him I do his either. periscopes. And whenever he does a periscope for me, it's essential content. I'm like, wow, what's he gonna
0: say? Yeah, um, it's true. And,
2: If he says the same things as always, it's funny to me. Uh If he says new things, it's also funny to me. Right,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right. Okay, so we're going to start a Dave Rubin fan club, okay? Stay tuned, everyone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It already exists in the Dave Rubin subreddit.
0: Oh, It's it's, been lovely to chat. It's been excellent chatting with you. Take care, and everyone give Timba a follow. And, uh, yeah, make more vids.
2: I will get to it when I can.
0: All right, take care. Thanks very much. Bye. A quick shout out to Intellectual Dark Wave, who makes IDW Critical-themed Dark Wave. And it's pretty hilarious, actually. I'll end with a clip and I'll link to their channel in the show notes. So do check it out.
1: To another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. Nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, No Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too.